this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built-in microwave. Semicolon. Liminality. All right. Um, yeah, so for this episode, we're going to talk about liminal spaces and just the concept of liminality in general. And uh, Meg, I'm going to let you kind of take the lead on that. Um, I I love this concept. Um, it means... <laughs> means different things to different people a little bit uh like anthropologists think about it in a specific way and um other people who are not anthropologists think about it in different ways maybe not quite so academically mm-hmm. um but everybody goes through liminal spaces and um when you're speaking anthropologically uh the liminality is sort of a situation in which you are either um, confused or knocked off balance or are going through a transition of some kind or um, you're going through a rite of passage or like uh, you enter into a liminal space in in one way and come out another. So for instance, you go in as a person and you go through a rite of passage and you come out changed and you're a different person on the other side. Mm-hmm. Um and these things can happen like really easily. They can be something like a like a birthday party. You're uh-huh. celebrating the transition from one year of your life into the next, even though it's part of a long process that doesn't really have a start or a finish, right? Sure. But the the act of celebrating it, when you create that birthday party, people arrive, you mm-hmm. celebrate the birthday, somebody is thought of as having changed in some way, and you're marking that change with this rite of passage as a birthday party. Right. And then when you all leave the birthday party, you've all left different somehow or the or the person that you came to see was different right when they got done with it um so there's a couple of uh i'm just looking at wikipedia right now because it kind of ties all of these different disparate um interpretations together in one place where it's easy to think about it Mm -hmm. um there were a couple of folks two people um in the early 20th century, a man named Arnold Van Gennep and somebody else later than him named Victor Turner who talked about um, liminality as rites of passage. Okay. Specifically. So kind of in a social context. Yes. Or so, a um, human. Yeah. So it, they were, and it's real structured for them. Like this the gentleman, Van Gennep, um, had sort of preliminary. Uh, preliminal states that you can be in before you enter or partake in the rite of passage, the liminal rite itself or the transition rite um, that has a specific sequence and there's steps that you have to go through in a specific order and there are rules and everybody knows what to do and usually there's some kind of like a guide or a person in charge who's leading the other people through the process. Uh Um, And so uh, they're kind of in charge of it. there's usually some kind of an actual passing through a threshold. Like for instance, um, if you think about like at weddings, Mm -hmm. people go under an archway of some sort, or people are walking down an aisle where people on either side are throwing rice at them or you're not supposed to do that because it kills birds. Right. But, um, Essentially, like, there's some kind of a rite of passage, like, before you get to the wedding, the people are single, they get married during the rite of passage during the ceremony, and then afterward, you go to a party, and they re-enter as, you know, a married couple, which is, uh, they have made the transition through the rite of passage, and now you're, like, celebrating coming out the other side, and then finally, when you leave that celebration is when the liminal period ends, essentially. Right. But that brings up another... Um, you know, that would be like the post-liminal phase. Um, the uh, There's uh, the Mr. Turner um, mm. added on to that sort of like structure with the pre, during, and after. Yeah. Um, and suggested that uh, there are sort of like, uh, he like added the nomenclature for the rites of passage 
um, or for the phases of passage. I see. So he um, kind of expanded on the yeah. concept. Yeah. And then uh, Van Gennep, who's the first person that we talked about, also uh, suggested that there were four categories of rights that emerge as universal across cultures and societies. So in other words, there's something about liminal spaces and and progressing through them in a deliberate way that seems inherently human. I see. Sure. To, in, independent of your local doesn't culture. matter yeah local right. culture is irrelevant every yeah. culture every society every group has these sort of rites of passage to mark these liminal phases uh-huh. um so for instance uh people who move from one status to another uh-huh. um so like the getting married you're single you get married sure. in the in the rite of passage and then after it you are now whatever married couple you, right. your title changes you're referred to differently um yeah there's also liminal phases that take place um, when you go through some kind of a change, like moving from city to city or moving from junior high to high school or um, like getting out of a space that you are familiar with and sort of being cut loose and entering into a new space where you have to figure things out as you go. Right, right. Um, So for instance, if you moved from the West Coast to the East Coast, at some point you would be a West Coaster on the East Coast getting used to the East Coast. Yeah. And then something would happen over time Mm -hmm. and you would become an East Coaster or West Coast transplant to the East Coast. And eventually you would just think of yourself as someone who lives on the East Coast. Right. Or other people might think that of you because you blend in more because you start to adopt the habits, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Um, There's so any kind of like situational passage where you're going from one type of thing or one type of way of living to another. So, um, there's, you know, the, there's moving across the country is sort of a spatial liminality where you're like geographically, physically unfamiliar with your surroundings until you get used to them. So you right. feel lost. Like the, your sure. process of acquiring an understanding of the new place is like yeah. a, a liminal process. And uh, I mean, I'm this is just kind of conjuring in my mind the concept of the road trip. Yeah. Oh, As road trips for sure are being liminal. A liminal. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, and, uh, you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but that makes me think of like how, um, usually when there's a liminal space, you know, uh, the way that we described it at first with, um, Van Gennep, who said that there's these, you know, these rites of passage and there's somebody leading the rite of passage and there's people who are initiates going through it. And, um, there's also liminal spaces where people, uh, nobody's in charge. And right. that's part of what is defines the suspension of the normal ways of behaving that everybody agrees to. Uh-huh. Um, so like starting a new job, you uh, graduating or like, like I said, going from one school to another, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a change or a process that you evolve through. That's not just a physical spatial location that you're changing, spending time in, but how you think about yourself changes with it. Because right, you're right. jumping from level to level. So you're going from junior high school to high school. So how you think about yourself changes as well. You go through a transformation. So it's you have a couple of layers of liminality there. There's the temporal layer where the time is passing. Mm-hmm. There's a layer that's a rite of passage where you're thought about differently by other people. And you think about yourself differently because of where you are co-located in society after, before, during, and after. Right. Um, uh, and then there's sort of like a... Um, the geographic change, your surroundings being different, just all of these layers of things can also mean that different people experience the period at different lengths of time than you do. So that temporal thing can get like screwed up. Okay, sure. Because you may only share a liminal space with people for a certain period of time before they move out of it. Yeah. Or before they come into it. Right. And so, um, how your transformation occurs in that space can be very individual, even when it's uh, it's happening to a bunch of people in a group or in a society also. Right. And that's right. the thing that I didn't want to lose track of. So there's a couple of, there's a number of dimensions that you can think of this in an individual, it has some things that are happening in one's own life. Mm-hmm. Um, you can think of it like you're usually doing, like if you're graduating from junior high to high school or out of high school, and beyond, right. you're doing it with a cohort. 
So there's other people who are in the space with you, but their experience of it is not it's individual to them as it is individual to you and you both relate to a group in different ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then when there's societies like, um, if there's a catastrophe, how the society comes back to a stasis afterwards and what that looks like okay. is a process of liminality. Okay. Like sure. Australia is on fire right now at the time of this recording Yeah. at just like the whole fucking continent. And so, right. Uh, what that's going to look like afterward is right, that recovery process, the recovery process, but even just like what, what's going to be left to recover. Like uh, the, the nature of life in Australia is going to be different. It's not going back. Right. Right. Um, and they're going to have that um, to kind of put it in the terms we were just talking about the sort of, there'll be liminality changes at the individual level. Mm-hmm. And then again, at the sort of, um, at a, at a sort of local group level and then again at a sort of overall society level. Yeah, that one I can think of as being very specifically like inclusive of a society because it's so widespread. Yes. And yeah. because even though there's a huge geographic space that's very different depending on where you are yeah, within it, right. It's there's a cohesive whole that's thought of as the continent. Like right. the continent is a boundary around all of these people, which forms them into a group yeah. or a society. And there's societies within that. Sure. I mean, obviously, not everybody in Australia is the same. Yeah. I mean, I so I have um, some of my very, very best friends who live in Sydney, and I've been kind of keeping in touch with them briefly. We haven't we haven't talked directly since the fires have really, really been such a dramatic effect. But mm-hmm. I have. Um, been keeping track of what they've been talking about, you know, yeah. on their social media feeds as far as um, the sort of just even just the emotional impact that it's having right. and the sort of changes that are are kind of to come from that is going to be really, um, I yeah, I, I just have a huge amount of interest in that very specific topic, obviously, because yeah. I have such close ties to um, Australia in that regard. Right. Um, yeah. So... So liminal spaces, not to get, I don't want to get too derailed on that. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of suddenly deeply thinking about them. Um, there, so uh, liminal spaces are, I'm, I, I guess originally I'm kind of thinking, you know, when we talk about like rites of passage and things like that, I don't, yeah. I, I have, there's points in my life where mm-hmm. I went through them, um, as a child and then later as an adult. Sure. Um, I guess it's hard, you know, having done some things that were just radically changing, um, you know, for instance, being homeless was a huge impact on my life. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Very informative um, or very formative of who I became after that. Um, Yeah. I mean that, that figuring out how to navigate that and come out on the other side as a person who can still function is like a liminal process for sure. Right. And, um, liminal spaces are interesting too. Cause I, I, when I think in that term or in terms of that kind of experience that I had, it was a very uncomfortable, difficult liminal space. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that, um, like I, my feelings about it after I've been through it are, are very mixed. I understand how I got there. I'm not particularly upset at any individual about it. Um, it's which is odd because I was so young you would think I'd be much more upset towards either of my parents who in their own ways contributed to that situation um, or their lack of their lack of participation in my life in any way in any meaningful way but um, yeah it was such an interesting it was such an interesting experience because after the shock of it it was the first time I realized that you know, no one else is going to, no one else would have been able to actually do any of the things that needed to be done for me, regardless of whether, sure. regardless of whether they should have tried or not tried or whether I'm upset at them or not, or, or was, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter at, at the end of the day. That was the thing that I got away from, that I got from that was that in the end, there's only like, it comes down to me regardless. Yeah. There's nothing I can do about that. Right. Um. So I, but it's easier to like liminal spaces conjures in my mind, like parties and like, you know, 
psychedelics and just sort of that kind of like sort of hippy dippy kind of experience of sure you know pseudo neo spiritualism yeah um, which they're not i mean obviously that's not you know we're all going through transition constantly um, yeah like there's i mean that's the thing there's like so many layers upon layers upon layers of liminal yeah. liminality happening at any given time right um that it's uh Sometimes it's hard to even know that you're going through some kind of a transit, a transitory phase or a yeah, a, a change of any kind of transitional phase mm-hmm. um, until after it's over and you are can look back and compare and notice that you were away, something happened, and you yep. are different now. Right, right. Um, it's. I mean, it's how you define what a rite of passage is, I guess. Sure. Is really subjective. Yeah. Because like when people die, that's a, it's not exactly a rite of passage, but what everybody, it is, it's a rite of passage. Way, and what yeah. everybody does around that event is a rite of passage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like those big ones, uh, you know, getting married, getting divorced, somebody dying, um, you know, becoming, graduations, yeah, graduations, any kind of like, a marked event where there's a before and after a clear before and after. And yeah. um, it can even be really short in time. Those are the ones that are easiest to see. Sure. Um, because there's such a stark difference. Yeah. But yeah, I love, I love, um, I love liminality just because I think um, learning how to navigate it comfortably is mm-hmm. like a huge life skill. Yeah. And I right. think a, like a lot of people, uh, in my experience, feel very cut loose. Like, have you ever seen, <laughs> have you ever seen um, when they take people up who are training to be in microgravity and they take them on the airplane that does the parabolic? Oh, yeah, the vomit comet. The vomit comet. Yeah. Have you ever seen a cat in microgravity, how they're trying to right themselves and they can't, oh. like, they keep twisting and they can't quite figure uh-huh. out which way is down? Yeah. Um. I feel like people do that a lot in the middle spaces and they just sort of panic. Yes. Um, yeah. When the, when the gravity just disappears or the sort of down disappears and suddenly you're just yeah, left the, in free fall, the bottom falls out and yeah. then you don't know which way to like cling to something. Yeah. Um, I really enjoy the middle spaces, like all, all kinds of them. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, because I'm really comfortable in them. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think about that a lot and think about how maybe one of the things that makes me a helpful human to have around is that I'm really great in those kinds of situations where something's happening or the normal rules are suspended or mm-hmm. um, like, oh, shit, this isn't working. Right, right. We got to come up with something. Sure. Um, situations like that are kind of what I like thrive off of. It's like, oh, yeah, a new puzzle, a new challenge. Like the rules have been changed or. Yeah. Um, the box we're in just changed shape. It's there. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, having experienced some pretty interesting liminal spaces specifically with you mm-hmm. at my side has made, um, it, you're definitely an invaluable partner in that crime. Oh, so I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually, it's been something that's been really, really kind of amazing because, up until this point, I've not found any particular individual that I would feel comfortable subjecting them to some of the liminal spaces that I sort of regularly transition through. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, partly, I, I mean, my own like life experience and, and the nature of um, who I am and the way that my brain sort of works or doesn't work or however you want to, you know, the, the, my existence is that I, I often self-inflict liminal spaces mm-hmm. um whether i it's just it's just this thing in my head right it's just screaming all the time for new novel input which yeah. basically means constantly like deconstructing and reconstructing my environment around me sure which is its own kind of liminal space yes especially for people around me um yeah and you obviously do really well in that because you're kind of comfortable with the ground not always being where the ground was when you left it yeah um and so that that works out really well um so thank you for that (laughs) Um, but 
you know, not to, <laughs> not to make this like too personal, right? Like I, I, the, the concept of liminal spaces, I can really only speak, um, based on how you've defined them. And this is kind of a new concept for me in a sense, uh, that using that term and being kind of critical about it, critical yeah. is maybe being analytical about it or yeah. just being well, very cr- critical thought, critical thought. Yeah. Being purposeful yeah. And, and assigning words and giving them meaning and, um, having that, uh, you know, thinking back in my on my life in those terms, or even just in the last like six months, in terms of like creating liminal space um, on purpose, yes, to give myself and um, or you like our our ability to transition from where we were to where we want to be. Right. Um, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to. Um, most of the liminal spaces that I've participated in or found myself in are. Um, I would describe them as sort of a ne- like a negative experience. Not the experience isn't negative, mm-hmm. but the you know being homeless that was a bad thing. Yeah, I learned a lot from it. Yeah, um, and it was good, and it made me better for who I am. And also, it wasn't nearly as like terrifying as I, you know, it initially felt. But um, it's not. Uh, Oftentimes, I think liminal spaces kind of end up being something like, "Oh, you got fired, or you lost this job, or you, sure. you know, a lot of a lot of these like negative experiences that happen to you that you hopefully grow from and stand up from and get pick your stuff up off the ground and and move on." Um, but creating like positive liminal spaces mm-hmm. that have that move you in the direction you want to move is difficult. Yeah, kind of knowing that you're in one state. And you want to transform into another state and knowing that there must be some kind of liminal space that is going to demark that transition. Yeah. But what does that look like and how do you purposefully create something? Um, I think one of the easiest ways to do something like that is to have a party. Sure. I I mean, I think that's great. Um, Like at the, when we recorded the, the words that have been ruined for me forever podcast. Yeah. My tip for living well in hell that week was celebrate stuff. Doesn't matter what. Um, sure. Yeah. Do it often. Yeah. It's an excuse for cake. Like, right. Um, you can use balloons and cake as like the indicators as like the picket fence around your liminal space. Sure. Like yeah. when the cake comes out. Yeah. The rules are different for a little while. Right. You right. know, so you can start, I, I, I pepper my life with liminal spaces because I just think they're, they're so great. They, they give you a way to like break the hellish monotony of life. Yes. Yeah, they really do. Um, but yeah, so I think like going to places where you feel, um, destabilized Mm -hmm. is an indicator that you're in a liminal space. Right. So seeking out things that you've never done before or, um, Things that are especially challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think doing that is important, not just from like a boredom killing standpoint, but yeah. from like a, a growth standpoint. Like, right. And if you want to know how to navigate some of these really sudden things that can be very shocking and upsetting, mm-hmm. um, like when I think about the big stressors in life that they always talk about that lead to like depression or anxiety, it's always like getting getting fired or getting a different job or moving or getting married or divorced. And it's right. like, well, these are all like can be very sudden liminal changes. And yeah. I mean, even people like think about people who have lived together and then get married and then break up immediately. Yeah. Because they think of themselves as somehow transformed and they're not comfortable with where they've landed. Right. But, um, Anyway, uh, point is you can you can design liminal spaces around just about anything. You just sure. have to create a, a a start. Like think about going into a tunnel and coming out the other side. Like, what do you mm. want to fill your tunnel up with? It right. could be all kinds of fun things. Right, right. Um, there's oh gosh, I mean, bring the sparkly colored paper wallpaper, put it down, and give yourself something. Uh, yeah. Pleasant to experience while you're sure. there. Or like if you're somebody who's constantly on their phone and you're like, oh, I just need a way to unplug or something. You yeah. can create rituals around things like, sure. oh, this is the two hours of the day where I unplug my phone and put it away. And the normal rules of me having to answer my phone and constantly be available to people and look up every random thought that comes into my head on the Internet. Right. Like all that stuff. You 
you can put a boundary around the time that you're not doing that and mm -hmm. consider it a transition phase in your day or your life or whatever. Right. Um, and when you, so when you, what I was going to say earlier is when you start to build these things into your life and get functionally familiar with liminal spaces and how to navigate them, yeah. you will become much more adept at handling the ones that get thrown at you sideways that you did not see coming. Right. You can't. Right. You can't. Yeah. Like, you really can't. I mean, you part of the rite of passage is you never know when you're going to die. You right. never know when anybody else is going to die. Yeah. Like that's what, that's what marks the rite of passage is it's the commonality for everybody. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, if you want to be less uncomfortable in dire circumstances, yeah. start practicing liminality now and get used to living in a space where the rules change. That, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny how, even when you kind of know that someone might be passing away or might be dying soon, um, you can't know how that's going to hit you and everyone else around you. Um, so I, I want to tell this story about uh, my friend storm who passed away. Yeah. So I feel like this is a good example of kind of having, you know, finding yourself in a liminal space without realizing it. Um, yeah. So I had this friend storm when I was living in England and, um, she had lung cancer and she was much older than I was. And, and when I met her, she already had been diagnosed with lung cancer. And, um, but we, we struck up like a pretty good friendship and we were, we were pretty close and, um, and she talked a lot about <laughs> her, ex, her perception of her own death and, you know, knowing that it was coming and what she was planning with the rest of the time that she had left and right. um, her own like processes she went through and her thinking around that. And one of the things that always struck me in that time was that she, she said for her, the death felt like losing a really good friend, like losing your best friend. Like that was how she would kind of explain the emotional process that she was going through. Yeah. When you, um, when you told me that the first time you told me about yeah. her, like that really resonated with me. Like right. I, I think about it a lot actually. Yeah. So yeah, it was a really interesting way of thinking about that um, as a way to kind of hold on to, it, it feels like a really good handle to yeah. hold on to that experience yeah. um, in a way that you can be like, well, start there. And if you start there, you can hold on to it and start to feel the rest of it and think about the rest of it in a way that that's yeah. still very personal, obviously. Um, but uh, so to get back to the story, so she um, and so we spent a lot of time, like we spent a lot of afternoons together, like knitting and crocheting and, and discussing stuff and talking about sometimes just more benign stuff and mm -hmm. sometimes more in, you know, um, like deep, deep personal like feelings and things. Yeah. And, um, and so when she died, uh, it was pretty rough cause she, she still smoked. She, you know, she had lung cancer and she hated cigarettes, but she couldn't quit smoking. And so she just, you know, like literally died within, she'd had a cigarette within 15 minutes of her death. Mm -hmm. Like she, you know, was choking down another cigarette and then died a few minutes later. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, while we were there, my, girlfriend and I or my ex and I were there. Um, and I mean, that was one of the, re that was the way I'd met her was that her, um, my ex was a nurse and she had been helping her, you know, at home as uh -huh. a friend. And so I also picked up and helped with that and, you know, came cause she was had mobility issues sometimes and just mm -hmm. generally needed some healthcare sure. or personal. Help. Yeah. Attending. Yeah. And so, but <laughs> she was really, it was a really amazing experience because her, um, her whole transition around the death, so she threw, um, she didn't have any money. And so she basically, uh, knew that she was going to be losing her house to the bank and everything would be kind of repossessed and stuff. And so she threw this living wake where everybody showed up and she just gave away all her worldly possessions that she, you know, didn't, didn't need for absolute like survival for the next like month or two while she was sure. still alive. And, um, and so that was a really interesting time too to like meet a lot of her friends and family and also just kind of people like leaving with lamps and chairs and, and weird things from this party. And it's like very bittersweet, right? I mean, people are like yeah. both happy cause it's like, well, she's still alive and you got to actually, it, it was an interesting, um, even that party, like speaking of a party in liminal spaces, it was really interesting because, um, you all know why you're there mm -hmm. and you know, what's going to happen. 
and everyone's dealing with it very differently and everyone is um uh you know attempting to they're all going to be changed and everyone has their own agenda why they're there and everyone's like kind of processing their feelings differently and right yeah so you've got like you've got individuals and you've got a group in the same situation exactly having yeah moment to moment experiences and also like periodic experiences right where there's like the long arc yes yeah and the individual little things that happen right right underneath that arc yeah and it was so interesting too because um because of that there there was um it was a very different kind of party Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it, it was not depressing at all. I mean, people f- felt sad at times, but it was not a depressing party. Like I, th- I'd kind of thought it might be a little rough just because I didn't know most of these people and sure. I just were all there to basically be like, well, storm is dying and this is miserable. Um, yeah, what's but, the one thing we all have in common? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it really, it wasn't, it was, um, it was really kind of really fun and nice to like meet a lot of her friends and kind of get a bigger picture of who she was. Um, Cause I've, only really her, knew her later in her life, right? I didn't yeah. know her for very long. And uh, so then, um, so this is like, also she had this kind of fun sense of humor. And mm-hmm. this is like, the rest of this story is really like, I feel like nails her sense of humor. So so she dies. Mm-hmm. I'm there with my ex Ruth in, in her house. Um, it's just the three of us, Ruth, Ruth Storm and I. And, um, and Storm dies she's just this is it she just struggles to take her last breath and expires you know Mm -hmm. and um so then we i think we called the you know we're in england so they probably have different names but essentially like in a a corner someone comes to collect the body and then ruth and i go home and we go to sleep (laughs) and then the next day um you know we start making phone calls and and a lot of the funeral arrangements had already been arranged and so at some point it's the day of the funeral and so we, um, Ruth rents a van and her, I think one of her other friends rides up front because they have all the navigation information about where we need to go. Yeah. So this van is like a delivery van. Like it's, there's two seats up front and then there's just an empty black or empty cargo space in the back. No windows. Yeah. Just, you know, one, the big door in the back. So what's the color of this van? It's white. It's, it's a white like panel a white, van. Yeah. It's like a white panel van. It's like, um. I would say more the size of like a like a minivan. Um, it's a Eurovan, right? So it's a little smaller. Um, it's probably like seven feet long by about six feet tall. I could, I could stand up inside of it. Oh, that's almost. tall. Yeah, it was pretty tall. I mean, we are the same size. We but, are the same size. Yeah, but it yeah. seems taller when you do it for some reason. Yeah, I think it's just difference in posture. I think that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm not gonna overthink it. Yeah, don't overthink it. Um, and so, so I, I'm going to be a pallbearer and Ruth and her friend are sitting up front and I just get in the back of the van and I just sit on the floor in the dark and they close it and it's just basically pitch black, right? Just you. Just me. Um, and then at some point we stop and we pick up uh, our mutual friend, Justin, and he gets in the back of the van and now it's Justin and I in the back of the van in the in pitch, the pitch dark. dark. And... Um, <laughs> And so then at some point, this is definitely not normal. No, it's not. It's. Mm-hmm. And so then we, um, and so I, so I'm just getting in the van and then driving all over, um, Exeter and I don't know where you're going, where I'm going. It's one of those just kind of just bizarre, bizarre disorienting situations because every time the van opens, it's like 15 minutes later and it's just bright daylight and then pitch black and bright daylight and pitch black. And so this this bright daylight and you, and you'd step out. And so the next stop we get out, um, we pick up this coffin and this coffin is, um, this white cardboard. Um, so caskets are rectangular and coffins are more that traditional body shape right so it, it's got that it's got like you know yes bulges at the shoulders and and right. sort of it's narrower at the it's head narrower the at the, yeah exactly yeah um and so we pick up this coffin and uh and it's white cardboard coffin with a basic cardboard lid um it's like a file box 
yeah like kind of imagine like a file box but the cardboard is a little thicker and reinforced a little bit so that it mm-hmm. you know you can put a body in there and then reasonably it's got little rope handles on the sides sure um and so and people have written all over it Aww. um because she'd had it for a while you know she bought it a few weeks before she died and, right. and people had come and written nice messages on it and stuff like inside and out and so it's just sort of got little bits of artwork on it. And some of them are more childlike. Some of them are just quite detailed and beautiful. Um, I mean, they're all beautiful. The whole thing just looks this. That's just, really cool. Yeah. It's um, it. You know what it reminds me of is like when um, I never had a cast, but some people had casts where it was yes. just like colored all over and people just had written That's like totally really nice messages and stuff. Too, yeah. So if way. you, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Sometimes it was just nice messages. Sometimes it's little doodles. Yeah. It was just really, um, really kind of cool. So, so now we have this empty casket and we're driving or casket or coffin. I think it's coffin. Coffin. Um, yeah. So we're driving to, um, well, the next stop is the morgue. And again, I don't know where we're going. I can't hear. I mean, I know where we're going, but I don't, I don't have any sense of it. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, Ruth's kind of stressed out, you know, trying to drive and her friends, you know, they're both kind of doing it and they they were champions. I mean, they were doing their thing and Justin's like, well, let's do this thing. And so, um, so we're just, this is what's happening. Yeah. This is what's happening now. And so we, uh, we, at some point we just like show up at the morgue and I remember it's, like we're kind of in a loading dock, but we don't like back in. We're just sort of parked on the side of a loading dock and we like get out of the van and we take the coffin into the morgue in the back way. Like there's no main front entrance. We're just walking down these like sort of um, linoleum tiled, like stark hallway and then yeah. into the, <clears throat> into the, the, lo- the was freezer. Was the lighting terrible? Um, it was not great. It wasn't, it wasn't the level of, um, sort of 90s like horror show or horror yeah. pick like yeah like flickering or anything but it wasn't you know it was just overhead it wasn't a haunted morgue no it wasn't a haunted morgue but it was you know no windows and and overhead um you know tube lighting um yeah fluorescent or fluorescent whatever. yeah not great not great no and uh and then we just go to the to the freezer locker where she is and they just slide her out just like you see on TV or whatever. They just slide her out. And then, um, and then Ruth had gotten this big pink, um, uh, like a, what do you call it? A beanbag, like a beanbag chair. Okay. Right. So this is like big pink beanbag chair that she'd hoped. So storm was a very small woman. Mm -hmm. Um, and by the end, I mean, she was very frail and like, you know, desiccated almost like by cigarette smoke while she's still alive like right. it was just um and so we just so ruth had this this beanbag chair this pink this bright pink like neon pink beanbag chair and that was going to go in there to like help her like kind of help keep her more situated so she wasn't just rattling around in this box oh God, yes. and uh, so so then we just kind of get get um get storm's frozen body essentially like you know out of the locker and just plop her down into the just just hold her like there's not like put these gloves on or anything it's just like there she is yep. just grab her you know yeah. grab her by the ankles and by the arms and we'll just kind of plop her in here and we just get right. her into the get her into the thing with the um and then kind of form smash form the um beanbag the beanbag around her to kind of give uh-huh. her a little bit of you know support <laughs> and then put the lid on her and pick up the box like Jess and I picked it up and she's a very light woman so I think it was just Jess and I like one on each side you know walk back down the hallway and put her in the back of the in the back of the van right then we get in the back of the van with her and sit down in the dark with this um with my friend's body storm just sitting there in the in the there it is there it is sitting in the back of the van and then off we go to the uh funeral um and that was, you know, probably a 20, 30 minute drive somewhere down some windy streets. I mean, everything in England, there's no highways or anything. It's just all just little no, every twisty time. roundabouts. And, hills and like yeah. stone walls and sheep. Yeah. And like one lane roads that people drive 50 miles an hour down and yes. they're two way, two way roads, but one lane. Right. You right. Know? Um, terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. And, uh, but also just very normal. <laughs> right. And so we get to the, um, we get to the funeral and we, we pop her out and we bring her out and um, 
they didn't do an open cast yet. I think we just kind of, there were some friends and people just sort of said things and then we kind of brought her into the crematorium space and then they they burned her in the crematorium and put her ashes in a jar and or in a, you know, whatever you call it, an urn. An urn. Yeah. Um, a modestly priced receptacle. But that journey around uh, Exeter in that van was so such a liminal transformation for me, right? Yeah. Because I, um, this was the first time that I had seen a dead body, right? Oh, um, okay. You know, I think this is definitely the first time that I'd been so intimate with a dead body, mm-hmm. um, which <laughs> not like a necrophiliac though. No, no. But I mean like so closely, like spending right. so much time around and having to, you know, physically handle it and, and yeah. be, um, and it, I I was surprised that it was just not really like, I think the thing was that I kept thinking that I needed to be more upset about it or like more disturbed or something. Yeah. Um, just cause socially that was what was expected somehow. Or like what you had, what you came to expect. Like, yeah. Like other people would be that way. Why am I not feeling that way? Um, right. you know, or wouldn't you, you know, other people aren't, would be aren't like, I supposed to feel more freaked out or upset. Yeah. yeah. And I wasn't, um, you know, I mean, obviously she'd helped me a lot just by talking to me about the whole process that she went through. And so for me, it was, um, at this point it was like, well, that's, you know, her body is passed. Like I don't, that doesn't not remind me of her or remind me that she's dead. I already know she's like, I'm fully aware that she's just passed away. Right. Yeah. So the body isn't like, Oh, another reminder. It's just like, well, there's, this is the actual practical fallout of this whole situation and taking care of that. And, right. and also being happy to, um, be able to be participating in that. But, but I will tell you that that van, it's just funny to me that like, had I sat up front, it would have just been a totally different Different experience experience. because it was just like so disorienting, just light, really, really bright light. And then just pitch black for a while. And then the forces of gravity. Yeah. And just being jostled around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All of those things, um, having no, there wasn't any communication between, um, Ruth as the driver or her friend and me in the back because it was just too loud. You couldn't really hear anything. Um, so I just was just forced to just sit there with my own thoughts. Um, like even Justin, I couldn't really talk to each other because it was too loud because it was just too loud. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I don't know. Anyway, it was, uh, so as liminal spaces go, that was one, that's something that just really like stands out in my mind as like a very personal experience. Um, that's really interesting too. Cause there's like, um, they talk about how like there's a, a scale of liminality. Uh-huh. And so for instance, like, um, uh, how, how severe or how, um, extreme um or minor a liminal period is is uh-huh. defined by like how far you can measure from existing structures uh-huh. so like like group dynamics or rules or whatever like your experience i mean ruth's experience of that period was liminal your experience of it in the back of the van was liminal hers was maybe closer to what was usual and wasn't so far or so weighted so heavily against a normal experience like she's still driving around she's still like keeping things straight in her head like i gotta do this and then next is this and then next is this yeah um but she's obviously never done it for these reasons right or with this person or with you guys in the car with her right etc etc yours is so different like there was a dead person who you'd never been like you'd never been around dead people before Right. right and you're in you're riding around in a van with all of the control over the situation taken away from you. Yes. Yeah. Like, so you're dis- the distance that you were from normal existing structures in your life and rules about how things are, ought, ought to be yeah. played out. Um, you're much further away from that than yes, some of yeah. the other people in the situation. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was drastically far away from it mm-hmm. compared to, um, yeah. Um, when, I think what is really interesting about yours too is that you had both spatial and temporal uh-huh. at the same time. And yeah. so it's like, it's all encompassing, like it's all consuming. You were completely engulfed by this liminal state that you were in. Right. Um, 
like it doesn't get much more liminal than that. Like that's pretty in, that's pretty intense and pretty great. Yeah, yeah, it really. Um, I mean, if you really want to find out things about yourself, you have to go through stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, you really do. Um, it, I, I mean, it really changed the way that I felt about um, death in a practical way. Yeah. Um, after that, there were uh, there were quite a few other like close deaths to me in that year and um and ever since then it was like it, it just became really apparent to me what was important and what wasn't yes um and so for me it's always been important that if you have opportunity to see somebody while they're still alive that that's what you do right it doesn't the the funeral and all of the other things are um are opportunities to connect with other people mm -hmm. but they're not the thing that matters around that person right that person they're only here while they're alive after that they're not i mean that was just really clear to me yeah there's not there's nothing you know i, I wasn't sitting in that van feeling like oh well you know storm i'm taking one more trip with you i mean prover pro proverbially in a story sense you might think that from a narrative kind of way but yeah there was no um she was done. She'd already left. This was just entirely different um, experience without her. Um, and so I just became really like much more of a stickler of, you know, when family members are getting ready to pass away, I've always been really adamant about, especially with my dad, you know, cause his, his sort of his uncles and aunts who've been passing away or, you know, there's been other deaths in his family as he gets mm -hmm. older. I'm like, dad, you can't, you don't just be like, oh, I'll just wait until the funeral and then fly out. Like, you go now. Do people do that? Well. I mean, I'm sure people do. It, yeah, I mean, if if you're not that close to someone and you're, you know, you know that they're in the hospital and it could be any day now, mm -hmm. um, you might, you know, you there's the practicality of like, you don't want to just show up and inflict yourself on someone else's family. Like, they're trying to kind of deal with the transition of their loved one and, um you know, and if their loved ones like in the in the hospital about to pass away, yeah, you know, you don't necessarily need more bodies. But if they're but the, if they invite you, you go while they're still alive. Yeah, you don't wait until they call and say, "Hey, we're this is the funeral plan." You go while they're still alive. You can debate going to the funeral or not, but from my point of view, you go while they're still alive. That's the thing. Yeah, because um, it doesn't. You know, the funeral, and I think my dad had. Um, like when his his uncle Oscar, my uncle Oscar, great uncle mm -hmm. Oscar, mm -hmm. he was a really interesting. Um, I I really loved him. He was really great. Um, when we found out that he was he was kind of getting ready to pass away, and um, and my dad told me about it, and he's like, "Well, you know, I've, I'm not sure if if it if I'll be in the way if I go out, and I, you know, I mean, obviously, then I'll just have to like come back out for the funeral, and you know." And I was like that's bullshit. We're going right now. Like yeah. right now, right now, right now. Like you just got this call. Great. Like here's some tickets. Let's go. Or like we're driving. What do you, how are we getting yeah, what there? Are we, how are we getting there? He's like, go. no, 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 wait, 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 no, no waiting. Like you go now. Um, if you can, I mean, and you don't, you don't sit around and be upset that you couldn't make it happen. Right. Right. Like you just, it's just about you and them. And this is your last opportunity. And it's not, it's sad, but, I don't know. Anyway, it just really changed my thinking around it. Like I just didn't, um, or it formed what it was. Cause I'd never really thought I've never had, I'd never had to think about it before then. Yeah. And so it really just formed what it, what, what my thinking was around it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, th I guess like my thinking around it is different than other people. Cause people seem to, I mean, my dad was kind of surprised and, um, people were supportive of us doing it, like going out there and, um, seeing our you know his uncle before he passed away i mean yeah. that's, they invited him that was the whole thing um but anyway uh yeah it, it liminal spaces so but you can see why i would think of you know liminal spaces as these sort of like ordeals and they don't always have to be like you said you can throw a birthday party and make that the liminal space and it can be a celebration yeah i think most people don't take control or don't it's not obvious that you're in a liminal space all of the time right. until you start to 
spend a lot of time thinking about whether you're in them or not. Right. And subsequently spend a lot of time creating them. Right. Um, because usually they sideline you. Right. Or the most obvious ones do. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why people are always lamenting the fact that funerals bring people together. Well, because it draws a circle around a group of people who are all going through a transitional state together. Yeah. Like a, this also works in much larger groups. Like um, if there are revolutions or revolutionary periods of history, so not just an individual revolution, but several or like prolonged wars that go on for a really, really long time. Mm -hmm. um, just how, wherever you can, I think wherever you can draw a circle around a group of people and have a way in and a way out is. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a kind of liminal transition or liminal space. Yeah. And yeah. like we worked on a project together where I wanted to create an archway yeah. that people had to walk through that on one side was decorated in a specific way. And on the other side was decorated completely differently to actually give the sense that you're crossing over from one type of place into another type right. of place right? and make it as obvious as possible. Right. right. Um, um, in order to basically kickstart that, that liminal thing. Yeah. Um, right. to make people realize that they're entering into something and then they'll enter or exit out of it later. Right. Like leaving some signposts so that people can kind of find their way a little easier. Yeah. I think that's like, you know, if you're, if you're, if you subscribe to the sort of, uh, explanation that Arnold Van Gennep gives of like rites of passage yeah and there being a guide or something like that right um if you realize that you're somebody who navigates these spaces well you could be one of those people right you i mean we can get into a much longer discussion some other time about whether you have a duty to other people or not to act as like a teacher or guide sure and I argue with myself about that internally constantly, but I think mm -hmm. if it's something that you enjoy or something that you feel good at, it can be of a great benefit to other people to have somebody who either, who, somebody who's just not panicking like everybody else. Is. Yeah. Right. <laughs> just like, hang in there. We're going to make it through this together. Right. Um, there's a lot of um, liminal spaces or liminality in religion. Those yep. are, that's all rites of passage. Sure. It's all like, oh, prescribed ways of being and doing and thinking in a specific space. Yeah. Um, what I found really interesting is that um, people can be considered liminal also. I find that fascinating. For instance, um, people who, it, it, this is all over the news all the time, people who immigrate, quote unquote, illegally from oh. one place to another yeah. are seeing themselves as outsiders or not participating in the normal rules of things. And yeah. so they become liminal in and of themselves. Right, right. Um, stateless people, um, people who are uh, like uh, transitioning from one gender to another are in a liminal sure. state. Um, right. People who appear to be halfway between this thing and another thing or mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle um, who don't fit into a particular box or don't fit a definition very easily. Um, I thought this was fascinating. Uh, you can choose to be that way or you could just be born like a twin in some societies, apparently as I'm reading. Yeah. Um, twins are, are not normal especially because they look exactly alike uh -huh. if they're identical twins. And so yeah. you can never not be a twin. And so right. you exist permanently yeah. as an individual in an unending state of liminality uh -huh. in one of those layers. Right. Right. Which I thought was really fascinating. But after I, you know, thought about it, after I yeah. read about that as a concept and thought about it, I thought that was really cool. It um, is pretty cool. Um, I've known a few twins in my life and they all have, um, there's, there's something different. It's not like that sounds very negative. They've always been really like very happy people for the most part that I know. I mean, the twins yeah. that I've known, um, and I really enjoy them, their company and, and who they are. And and they do, they do have individuality. Of course. Um, but there is, I, I, I don't know. I mean, there is just something, you know, you can, 
talk about being an older sibling or a younger sibling or having mm-hmm. siblings or not having siblings and all of those things seem, but having a twin seems to be something on a slightly different level. Yeah. You are, you're with somebody who's, you are in a cohort of two yeah. that will forever be a cohort of two. Right. That will remain unchanged even if one of you or both of you disappear. Right. You can't not be a cohort of two. Right. Yep. It's just really interesting. Um, Victor Turner in the mid seventies uh, expanded liminality or the concept of liminality to include the term liminoid, uh-huh. which has a, a Greek root, mm-hmm. um, eidos, which is refers to like a shape of something. Uh-huh. Um, so Victor Turner coined the term liminoid and I'm reading this exactly off of Wikipedia right now, to refer to experiences that have characteristics of liminal experiences but are optional and do not involve a resolution of a personal crisis, hmm. which is the type of liminality that I think you and I are talking about making more of. Yeah. Like we're not going to wait until there's a catastrophic event in our lives that force us to reconfigure how we relate yes, to people right. and, and things right. and time and space. Yeah. We just um, want to do So here it says, uh, the liminal is part of... Um, Society, an aspect or social of social or religious rights, while the liminoid is a break from society, part of play or playing with the right. So liminoid is something that has a a non-critical and somewhat um, elective nature about it. Sure. You can choose whether or not you want to enter the liminal space. Right, right. Um, so it says here... Um, much more common. These are liminoid experiences are much more common than liminal rights in modern societies. Rights are diminished and forged the concept of liminoid rituals for analogous, but secular phenomena such as attending rock concerts and other liminoid experiences. So festivals or um, camping trips or Mm -hmm. um, road trips, road trips trips would fit into the liminoid experiential category. Right. Um, I, those are the ones that I'm really interested in. I mean, I, I think those are the ones that are like the fun, not stressful playground where you can like spar and yes. before you have to go into like emotional and liminal battle zones where right, things, right. outcomes can be like really upsetting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those are, um, I, that's funny when we were doing that podcast about, um, failure. Yeah. Having, uh, I think that's where you and I look at liminal spaces when when we're aiming to create them as an opportunity an opportunity to explore explore them in a more safer context. Sure, you don't have to risk as much. Yeah, you can you can have like you can throw a party mm-hmm. or you can go on a road trip um, and have that liminal transformation without the risk of it having to be something that has to be successful yeah, or has to be a particular way or comes out of a major failure that you're not reeling from. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so I think like the, a couple of in this article, they highlighted a couple of um, types of liminoid experiences, yeah. rock concerts, sporting events, sure. um, airplane rides are one of them Oh, because you're, I mean, you go through a physical gate, like yeah. you're actually going into a liminal space sure. that's marked at one end by a way in and marked at the other end by a way out. Right. And then you like travel through time and space to get to someplace else. Yeah. Because right. that's how, that's how it physics works. works. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's how physics works, folks. Yeah. Um, but I think that's really fascinating. And then that makes me realize that going sailing, while obviously a liminal space, the liminality of it is probably what attracts me to it so much. Right, right. Um, like yeah. You have to be very intrepid to even enter that liminal space. Sure, yeah. So I think that's what appeals to me about it, is it's a liminal space I haven't been in yet. Yeah, it's... I Or only in very short little... Right, and you're really... It's what you've seen makes you think you might really enjoy the further depths of it. Yeah. Enjoy is a loaded word. It makes you want to find a lot of value, find a lot of value. Yeah. And meaning. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's, um, I would, uh, encourage people to create liminal spaces with less at stake than, you know, moving bodies. Uh, the, I have a similar, not similar, but, um, your story about storm and the van reminds me of, uh, 
when my grandmother died, um, and we can tell that story in another one because this one's getting really long, but okay. it was a liminal space because it happened over Halloween, which right. is in itself, itself a humongous liminal space. Yeah, yeah. Um, as our carnival or any other situation, like if you read Rabelais or like Rabelaisian situations where there's a carnival or um, the rules of society are turned on their head for a day and like mm-hmm. fools and tricksters are in charge. Right. As opposed to the people who have a handle on what's really going on. You know? Yes, sure. Um, and uh, it was, I was dressed as an evil tooth fairy and I had to leave the Halloween party that we were at uh-huh. at two in the morning on All Saints Day and drive to my grandma's house, which I had been at earlier yeah. to see her yeah. before I went out for Halloween and like help move her and transport the body and all the things. And then subsequently we like um, we knew the people who were doing the undertaking and they lived up the street from us. And so we were there to like help do her hair and her makeup and uh-huh her fingernail polish and things. That's a totally separate story and I will flesh it out later. It's hilarious. Yeah. But it turned out hilarious because it was a liminal space and I had expectations going into it that weren't met in the most delightful ways. Sure. And I came yeah. out feeling much better about the whole thing on the other end, but it was yeah. it was definitely a destabilizing event, not just her dying, but then like the ensuing situation. Yeah. Um but yeah, that was really weird. That was like that was one of the weirdest nights of my life because it was just so many layers of not normal yeah. layered on top of each other. Right. Um, and the drive was weird and just everything about it was weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Turned out great, but weird. Yeah. I mean, I having heard the story, I, I do. Um, I look forward to doing that as a podcast or at least uh, yes. fitting that into something because it it's a very good one. Yeah, that I mean, there were a number of arcs of liminality that sort of you had to transition yeah. through. Right. Anyway, um, yeah, it's like you can talk about it now and laugh about it because yeah, because I was probably better than equipped than a lot of people to just deal with the inevitability of it and how mm-hmm. to deal with the not having rules for what you're supposed to be doing at the time. Yeah,ness of it. <laughs> right. It's so I find it funny how you know one of the things you mentioned. Um, before about liminality about how you they oftentimes can teach you a lot about yourself Mm -hmm. um yeah it's really there's there's kind of this i don't know if dichotomy is the right word but um i want to say this dichotomy between learning about who you are Mm -hmm. and then changing who you are yeah and those being um very related but also very different. Mm. Um, sometimes I think you can learn who you are and be quite happy with what you've learned, or you can learn who you are and be very upset about that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, that often leads you to wanting to change some aspect of yourself. Sure. And then that journey towards, um, learning about whether you even can. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a tough one, I think. Yeah, there's that revelation that the revelatory process that occurs. Yeah. Um yeah. can be shocking and painful, but also can be really great too. Yes, yeah, can be really great. You don't know until you do it. Yeah, yeah, you really don't. Um yeah. It's pretty amazing. So, uh was there any uh, have we missed anything? I mean, I'm sure that well, of course there's, we've missed lots. It's a so huge well of, yeah, of information. There's and, so many things. Yeah. Um I, you know, it occurs to me we might be able to do, um, in future podcasts, obviously, uh, more specific liminal, like discussion around liminality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it, that, if that's just something as simple as like looking at like a particular example and breaking it down or, yeah. um, talking about more fundamentally practical ways, like you've talked a little bit about doing, um, you know, you can just have a party, throw a party and that can be a liminal space. Um, yeah. I mean, you can even do yeah. it with the intent of it being a liminal space. Like that sounds obvious, but a birthday party is not necessarily the primary concern at a birthday party is celebrating somebody with cake and balloons and presents. And usually it's kids. Sure. You know, um, um, so that it it can be a liminal space incidentally to the fact that there's a ritual going on, or you can just create the space for having a space. Like, you know, like when people talk about going to Vegas with, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah. Like they've created a, an entire land of liminality out there. Right. Because all of the rules that you normally behave 
buy yeah. are suspended in Vegas. You can do whatever you want or not everything that you want. It's not an autonomous zone, but yeah. like you can. But there's that perception of it, right? I mean, that's, right. the, that's the mythology of the it. The mythology of yeah. it, exactly. And so there's, you know, um, just how you how you get around the space, what you see when you're there, how yep. people treat you, uh, right. what's at stake, you know, yeah. what the what's on offer. All these things are sort of bizarre compared to normal, right. what you're normally used to. And so right. um, just going, going to the cabin for the weekend. Cabins are liminal spaces. Yeah. That's a like Minnesota thing. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I did that a little bit in San Diego. Yeah. We used to go to a cabin. Going out on your sailboats. Yep. Liminal. Yeah. So yeah, you can just, you can do it all kinds of ways. Right. Right. Just do it the fun ways before you have to deal with the crappy ways first. Right. Yeah. Do yourself a favor. Do your future yourself. self a favor. Right. Yeah. And get comfortable. Actually, doesn't that right? So you have a um I think you had a tip for living well in hell. Oh yeah. Um sometimes you can mark the end of a liminal phase by your by your own hand. I mean, sometimes you just need to set fire to some shit and burn it down and walk away. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a um I think that's kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening to our stories about liminality. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, okay. 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 Right. Bye. Okay. Bye.